FinTech Hunting is hosted by Michael Hammett, JD, CMT, keynote speaker, author, and founder and president of Next Level Advisors. Join Michael as he seeks out tech visionaries, leading lenders, trailblazing executives, and other financial influencers to bring you actionable insights and lead generation tactics, all centered around industry greatness and success. Welcome to FinTech Hunting. Ladies and gentlemen, we have a very special guest with us today. I couldn't be more excited to welcome Leora Rusin. She is the managing editor of Mortgage Women Magazine, a wealth of mortgage industry knowledge, and I couldn't be more excited to have you. Welcome. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Well, it is, it is great to have you join us. And I know we've been on panels and we've attended a lot of the same conferences. And I think one of the first things that really struck me is you were on a panel at MBA Annual last year. And there was a lot of tech vendors and providers and people are talking about all the latest, greatest technology and the latest shiny object. And you brought great clarity when you said, well, all of that's great, but it's got to fit within a lender's tech stack. Mm -hmm. Could you elaborate a little bit on that and share with the audience, you know, what you meant by that? Because I think it's so very important for people to hear. Sure. In my experience, I, I dabbled a lot in a lot of the different tech that's out there, a lot of the core origination systems that a lot of the biggest lenders use out there, like Encompass and Calix Point. And what I'm finding and what a lot of lenders are experiencing right now is you know, this bright, shiny object, this this new API that can be plugged into this origination system, it's great on the surface, but when you start digging into it, you're finding that it's not always compatible with that origination system, especially when there's a lot of legacy code in there that could conflict with some of that data that's living within the within the system. A lot of lenders, instead of building their own proprietary platforms, might take an Encompass or a Calix Point and they'll they'll take data points within that platform and repurpose them. And then when there's a new API that comes out or even a new software update, a lot of things can get broken as a result of that. And so it, it comes down to when when is that legacy core system actually going to be updated? At what point is it just too many APIs, too many plugins, too many different tools being put on top of this old antiquated origination platform? Excellent. Great feedback there. So as we talk, you know, what should lenders do as they're vetting different vendors? You know, you've been on the lender side for a great number of years in your career. What are some of the things you look for in vetting uh, technology and what should they do if they really want to find that shiny object that's going to meet their tech stack? You know, that that's a really tricky question to answer really when you think about it, it it depends on the lender and how much volume they're doing what even what kind of uh system that they have set up whether it's a branch model a partnership model a straight comp model uh how they're engaging with the with the borrowers is do they truly have a, an e mortgage or digital mortgage platform and so really it, it depends on number one the lender and then number two what you're trying to accomplish for me i i kind of like having an all-in-one kind of system so instead of having maybe so many different apis having a core system that has all of those additional tools that i need it's got the a front-facing borrower uh, pos and then it has all of the back office operations 
uh, that you need. And a lot of those older LOSs, uh, loan origination systems, don't really have anything that supports back office operations. And so I'm always looking for that system that addresses the borrower need and then also the need for the lender to deliver loans quickly and efficiently uh, and, and reducing the risk on the back end of loans having to be repurchased. Well, and I think you make an excellent point. You know, there's not a one size fits all. You really have to understand your lending process, what you're trying to accomplish before you can just go out and start looking at these different solutions. As people look at these solutions, can you help the, the listeners? What does a typical decision process look like for a large lender? How many people are involved? Who needs to kind of sign off? Uh, who needs to be involved in the decision-making process? Can you give us a little insight into that? I know my listeners would love to understand that process a little bit better. Sure. I, I, I've gone through uh, several loan origination system integrations and conversions uh, in my mortgage life. And one of the first things that I do is I, I create a working group. And this working group is comprised of those key stakeholders within every department that this system might touch. And these are people who are in the weeds every single day and know what it's going to take to get that part of the loan process through the system in, in the way that it needs to be done. But also understanding how what I do say in the processing piece of this, how it's going to affect post-closing, how it's going to affect underwriting, how it's going to affect saleability down the road. And so these are people who are experts within their departments, but also have a wide range of understanding about the loan manufacturing process. So that's the first step is you're building this team. And these are the people who are going to sign off on the process as you go through it. And then you're, you're, developing, uh, you're developing the tools that you need to make sure you're hitting every single part of the process. You've got people who are testing every piece of the code that you're building and you're just getting those key sign-offs so you understand from A to Z every point's been touched and every set of eyes that you could possibly think of has looked through that process. And it's all getting, it's just getting that sign-off from everybody that's really critical. And from a, a vendor perspective, what are, and you don't have to name specific company names, but what do you look for? What have you found the best working relationships to have a successful and a smooth transition from a lender? What does the vendor need to do to help you along the way? What I found to be the most successful vendors are those who understand that someone who is an expert in implementation may not always be that same expert that you would want to carry you through the, the relationship after you've launched. And so, the, you know, you have your implementation folks, they, they're the ones who actually understand the code, they understand the software, the bones of the software. And once they get through that process and they get you live and you're up and running, that you have a relationship manager who carries you throughout that relationship as your company evolves, as it grows, as it goes through different cycles. And, and so those companies really understand that those really do need to be separate uh, people, separate departments. Excellent. Well, we've jumped right into tech right out of the gate, but <laughs> you have a new endeavor and I definitely want to kind of give you a voice and, and why don't you tell our listeners, you know, what are you doing now? And, and let's talk a little bit about uh, Mortgage Women Magazine. So I'm, I'm going to turn it over to you to kind of tell our listeners what you're now up to and the exciting things you're, you're embarking on in the industry. 
I'm really excited about this opportunity. Uh, I've been writing for Mortgage Women Magazine for almost four years now. Uh, I started when Tammy Butler was the editor and continued to write pieces after Kristen Meserly took over as managing editor. Uh, and it's, it's a passion project of mine. I love to be able to share my knowledge with others, not just knowledge of the mortgage process, the tech process and all of that, but really helping people know my story my personal story and my professional story and how my story can help other people. And so when Kristen approached me and said, I, I, I need to find my, my predecessor, my replacement, because I, you know, she's got her own company that's just booming right now. And, and uh, she said the first person I thought of was, was, was me. So I, I said, absolutely. I would love to do this. And so uh, I take over the magazine for the March issue. Uh, and we've already started the process of putting together some content and that the vision of the magazine is going to be changing a little bit. We'll still have some of those core articles that, that really speak to women in this business and really women who are looking for advancement, looking for leadership opportunities, looking for ways to find their voice and, and advocating for themselves. But another piece is, is helping women understand how they can improve processes within their own companies. So I'll be looking for women who run closing departments and run processing departments and get insight into how they've been able to make those departments more successful and more efficient and quicker while also helping other women find their path within those respective departments. So each issue will have a separate, a different part of the mortgage manufacturing process. We'll have processing and then we'll have underwriting and so on and so forth. So I'll be looking for those women out there uh, who have knowledge in those departments so we can start helping women not only have the tools to be better leaders, but also to be better leaders in this in this particular industry. So it's really exciting stuff. I'm 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 2020 is going to be amazing. I'm <laughs> I'm just really excited. It's going to be a lot of fun. Well, and they could not have put picked a better person for that. I, I can feel your passion through the, the phone lines right here. And, and I know I, I've read a lot of your work in the past. Uh, like I said, you and I have been at a lot of conferences. You've spoken on panels. And I always like the insight and the passion. But I think the other thing that, that readers are going to be really excited about is you share very genuine and authentic experiences. You know, we've both been in the industry a long time. Not everything goes perfectly. Not every role, not every function works out uh, as we had planned. But there's always a course. There's always a, a, a plan of where we're supposed to be going in this. So I, I could not be more excited for you. And, and if there's any way that we can help out, we, we'd love to find out more about that. So what are some of the things as, as you're talking about process improvement and really digging into closing or processing or underwriting, what are some of the key trends that you're seeing? What are some of the hurdles, the obstacles that lenders are dealing with as we, you know, roll into and are already halfway through, you know, the first month of 2020? Sure. Well, obviously the, the you know, the big elephant in the room right now is the new 1003 or the Erla that's coming out. Uh, you know, mandatory adoption is coming up in November of this year. And, you know, the word on the street is a, a lot of lenders just aren't ready, uh, which which is normal when this kind of stuff comes along. You think about what happened with TRID and how a lot of lenders weren't ready for TRID. And so they had to extend adoption. You know, the new 1003 has been uh, extended out several times. I personally don't see it getting extended again. And so right now the, the issue is how how 
which comes first, the tech or the process, right? And so lenders are just patiently waiting for those vendors to to get that 1003 data implemented into the process, into the system. And then from there, you got to start testing. I know there are some lenders who are doing optional adoption right now. I don't know who they are, uh, but it'll be interesting to see what the results are of that early adoption and it, if any of that can be shared amongst other lenders so they can start figuring out their own processes. You know, some of the other issues are obviously the QM patch is fixing to expire here uh, in a little over a year. And the very definition of what makes a loan a qualified mortgage could be changing. And so we're all just waited with, waiting with bated breath on, on what that's going to look like and how this new version of QM could, could really change borrower uh, availability into affordable housing um, and the advent of, of this new non-QM uh, business channel that, that we've been seeing an increase in volume in. Great insights. And as you talk about the, the new 1003 or the non-QM and, and testing, and is it process first? Is it technology? Do you have any tips for lenders that are listening to say, here's a couple steps you could take that you really want to solidify as you start mapping out your testing program? Or here's a couple of things that vendors could do to make it a lot easier for lenders to work with them. I, I, you always have great insights. I, I didn't even mention earlier, and I apologize. As, as everyone's listening, they can see how well you know the industry. You are a certified mortgage banker. You received that certification last year, so congratulations. What Thank tips you. can you share? The very first thing I would say is engage with your compliance and engage with your legal counsel, and don't make any decisions without them. Uh, and then the second thing is, is is reach out to your vendors immediately. And if you're not getting enough engagement with your vendors, then you need to really start pushing hard because you can't develop a process if you don't know how it will affect the technology and vice versa. And you, you rely on the vendor to give you the tools and then you can develop the process around that so that that first step is really, you know, getting with your vendors and, and saying, hey, what's going on? When can I expect a, When can I expect this new version in my test environment so I can start testing and, and start engaging with my compliance on how we're going to adapt this to make sure we're not violating fair lending law? Because there's a lot about the new 1003 that, that subjects companies to increased risk in fair lending. So engage with compliance and legal and, and start hammering the you know what out of your vendors. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned test environments and, and I think it's important to elaborate on that uh, as I've been in the LOS wars for a number of years and we work with a, a ton of technology providers. I'm still amazed at how many lenders don't even have a, a full testing environment. Could you elaborate on <laughs> You know, what you mean by a testing environment and, and what are some of the things that the lenders should have in that environment? Sure. It's funny. I, um, I, I saw a guy wearing a T-shirt not too long ago that said when I, uh, I don't always test code, but when I do, I do it in the production environment. This is the funniest shirt I have ever seen. <laughs> and and it, it's, it's like, why would you ever do that? So having a testing environment, is, it's, it should be, in a perfect world, a complete duplicate of your live production environment where you can test new code, test new updates, test changes to processes, where you can add new vendors and, and test out those vendors without it affecting your live production. And then once you've figured out that the process works, you promote those changes into that live production environment. You really should not be making any 
any kind of changes in a in your live production environment because it can affect your loan files, it could affect uh, your Humda reporting, it could affect a wide variety of other reports that you rely on to manage your pipeline. And so it, any lender should have a, not even just a, I, I used to have three versions. I'd have a test environment uh, that was right after my development department uh, uh, version, and then I would have my you know live environment. So you got to have at least one environment that you can play with without it affecting your live uh, your live files. Yeah, and use that as the sandbox to test whatever you need to test to make sure things are working properly before you ever go live with it. Like I said, it's amazing how many lenders out there still don't really have full testing environments. And then they're shocked when something goes wrong, when they're trying to implement it right into a live production uh, environment. Right. It's crazy. <laughs> well, well, well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've both been down that road before. So what are some of the other things that you think you, you've talked about? You know, the 1003 non-QM. Is there any technology? Is there any aspects uh, or categories within lending that you think this is going to be the year where they really start doing more. I've heard some people say, well, this is maybe the year where more home equity technology is going to take place. Or, you know, in years past, we've seen how important the point of sale was or pricing engines. Is there anything from a technology you perspective that you think is going to be big or become more mainstream in 2020? Yeah, I, I think because 2019 ended up being such a high volume year that nobody expected, a lot of the tech that we expected to see in 2019 got pushed out to, to this year and maybe even next year, because I don't see that the current lending environment is going to change too much. I think rates will continue to be low. Uh, and I think inventory will finally start to increase. So we might even see more purchase activity. I, I do see a need for home equity. Uh, I've experienced personally the, the pains of trying to launch a first lien HELOC in a loan origination system that just can't handle it because, you know, uh, handling a first lien HELOC is very different from even a second lien HELOC and how that, you know, the APR is, is calculated and payments are calculated and so on and so forth. So I definitely see a need in developing better technology to handle that, even if it's not within the LOS, maybe a separate platform. Uh, I also see a need for developing new AUS tools for non-QM lending. And so we've got our AUS tools today. We have, you know, Fannie Freddie LP. Uh, and there's a couple of new AUS tools out there, uh, automated underwriting systems, for those who don't know what that is, um, to handle loans that don't fit in with the agencies. And so I, I definitely see a need in increasing that adaptability to a wide variety of lenders and even different types of income, borrower income types. Uh, so those are the, the, the two biggest ones that I could see uh, adaption within 2020 and maybe even 2021. Excellent. It's just weird seeing 2020. I, it really is. <laughs> so um, weird. <laughs> we're here. We're off and running. It's 2020. It's hard to believe. And, and, you know, the industry continues to move forward. And you gave a real good perspective on rates and everything. As you really, you know, embrace this new role as managing editor and everything, what are some of the things you're looking for? What are some of the things that our listeners could provide you that would be very helpful as you continue to make an impact and add value to the industry? I would love to get insight from, from folks who are in every business channel. We've got our retail lenders. We've got the big box guys. We've got the broker movement that is continuing to gain traction. 
there's there's areas within the mortgage lending space so that there's still not a lot of um, representation. So community banks, credit unions, smaller banks. I would love to get insight from those those folks who are in those places and really get an idea how those local communities can be uh, improved upon by by better access to, to mortgage lending and better access to housing. And so I, I'd love to hear from those those particular individuals who are working in those business channels. Absolutely. And what is the best way that people can get a hold of you so that they can start that dialogue if they're at a credit union, if they're at a community bank and they have some insights they would like to share? How can they get a hold of you? Sure. Uh, you can reach me at my uh, Mortgage Women Magazine email address, which is just Leora, L-E-O-R-A, at MortgageWomenMagazine.com. Fantastic. And Lior, is there any other things that you have on the horizon? I know you're super busy with the magazine. You've transitioned from being on the lender side. Is there anything else you want to share with our listeners of, hey, you've got some other stuff in the works? I, I do have some other stuff in the works, but I'm not quite ready to share. Uh, the one thing I do, you know, that I do want to share is in addition to my work with Mortgage Women Magazine, I, I'm still heavily active with the Mortgage Bankers Association. And one thing I can really tell folks out there who are in this business that are passionate about it is to get involved and get engaged with the MBA, get engaged with your local MBAs. That's where advocacy happens is when we take our voices and, and we shout them out to the universe. Uh, and so I, I just encourage people to to get out there and make themselves known and advocate for, for this industry because we're the ones who, who can make that happen. What a great point. And I think the other thing is you're talking about the MBA. Do you want to mention how important it is for people to become a certified mortgage banker and to receive their different certificates? I, I remember a number of years back, I, I was uh, I became a certified mortgage technologist through the MBA do you want to mention that to our listeners for those who don't really know what the CMB program is about and how it could benefit them? Sure. I, I liken getting your CMB to getting uh, to, to going through the bar exam when you want to become a lawyer. It really is an intense process that can take a couple of years. There, you know, you have you have a required number of points that you have to accumulate. That's derived from industry participation, how long you've been in the business, education, a lot of different uh, points systems that they use to calculate all that. Uh, and then you have to go through a very lengthy prep course and then a six-hour written exam and a one-hour oral panel. Uh, it was exhausting, terrifying, and amazing all at the same time. For me, getting my CMB, you, you know, initially it was because I wanted to, to have that, those three letters after my name. I really felt that it's what I needed to, to set myself apart from everybody else. But as I was going through the process and as I've developed this passion for this business, I realized that getting that, that designation was so much more for me. It was about paying it forward. It was about sharing my knowledge with others. And, and it's about paving the way for the next generation of mortgage professionals. And so if this is really your lifelong career and you really truly are passionate about it, having that designation means you put in the hours, you put in the time, and you're serious about it. And so I, if anybody's on the fence and have any questions, please feel free to reach out to me. I would love to, to share my story and, and share any insights to help people make that decision. 
Well, fantastic. It sounds like it's been a wonderful journey and it is a journey. It is about giving back. And I can't thank you enough for joining us today on this episode of FinTech Hunting. You've shared some incredible insights and you also left us guessing a little bit more of what else is on the horizon so that we can definitely have you back as a future guest. I would love it. Thank you. Thank you so very much. Have an amazingly blessed day. You too. Thank you. FinTech Hunting is brought to you by Next Level Advisors. Next Level Advisors, where businesses come to grow.